1: The rules have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, May 16th, 2008. This week, 82. Episode 82 comes to you from beautiful Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. Here in the studio with me is the wingman, Chris Boisell. Good afternoon, Joe. Good afternoon, Chris. The Z Man, Cliff slotnik is on the road, but he will be joining us remote from Orlando, Florida. Let's see if the Z Man's on the line. Hello, Cliff.
0: Hey, Joe. Can you hear me? It's a beautiful afternoon here in Orlando. It's mm. Sunny and beautiful.
1: Rain and uh, a little chilly here in the Berg, but we'll be—we're quite used to that. Cliff, good to hear you, and you sound great. <laughs> All right, we'll bring you back in in a moment for the microband trivia question. We've also got our technical director coming in here in a moment. We'll bring him on probably halfway through, take a couple questions. Today's segments include the microband trivia question. Mr. Brad Kuhlman's with us from Midwest Duck Cleaning. He's the owner of Midwest Duck Cleaning and also the NADCA, National Air Duct Cleaners Association president. We've got a big-time IE Connections What's News with Glenn Fellman today. We've got some big news and then at the end, we will come back with the round table where we bring everybody back to round things up. We've been working on that uh, iaqradio.com website, adding a blog every week after the show. We also uh, have been adding a little information each week with some links. We have to thank our sponsors before we get started. I want to start with Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. DryEase Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. DryEase is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at j-o-n-d-o-n.com. All right, to contact the show, you can just call 724-444-7444, enter our show ID, which is 1547, press 1, and join the show. Looks like we're starting to get a few people joining us again this week. Things have been going really well. You can text message in questions. You can also uh, get in the queue if you want to get on the on the phone, and also you can go to our iaqradio.com website and connect from that website. Just go to the go-to-the-show uh, link and you can get in with us we also appreciate suggestions and answer questions take requests etc if you email me at joe.hughes that's h-u-g-h-e-s at iaqtraining.com or cliff at cliff Zlotnik at unsmoke.com you can also get iaq council renewal credits by emailing me and requesting a quiz after the show and last but not least please visit the iaq training institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. I'm going to send it over to Cliff for the Microband Trivia Question.
0: Well, first, Joe and fellow listeners, last week's Microband Trivia Question was answered correctly by Matt That question was, who was the Mork and Mindy television star that sued home improvement guru Bob Vila? Mm -hmm. The correct answer to that question was Conrad Janis. He's the guy that owns the music store. We also had a couple other people send in answers for that question correctly, but Matt was the first person. We also have a ruling on a question that Matt mined from a previous earlier show. Uh, the question was, this device works by detecting the ionization produced by a radioactive particle. What was the name of the device? The correct answer was Geiger Counter. Matt took up the challenge that Joe gave him, and we're gonna be sending him 10 IAQ Radio Lucky Dollars as soon as we get his address. Okay, the, this week's trivia question is, As a refrigerant, this material has three distinct advantages over other commonly used industrial refrigerants. It is environmentally friendly, it's compatible, it does not contribute to global warming, it has superior thermodynamic qualities, and as such, requires less electricity.
1: And third, it
0: has an inherent odor, its greatest safety asset as a leak, it unlikely would escape detection. We want you to name this refrigerant. Back to you, Joe.
1: All right. Thank you, Cliff. And uh, thank you to our uh, correct answer. Uh, Matt's been mining big time out there. He's costing me 10 bucks here, but uh, it's great to have (laughs) him. (laughs) If you want to answer this week's question, you go to the iaqradio.com website, click on the trivia link, and go there and uh, get your answer in first, and we'll send you out a nice uh, prize here. Uh, we just uh, found, actually, speaking of mining, we found some n- new prizes to send out, uh, Cliff finding got oh, yeah. stashed away. All right. Today's first guest is uh, Brad Kuhlman, Midwest Duck Cleaners owner and president. He's also the president of the National Air Duct Cleaners Association. Matt has been uh, owner of the Midwest Duck Cleaning Services, Inc. since 1992. He purchased Midwest Duck Cleaning from the original owner back in 92. They only had one and a half power vac trucks, you know, the one usually in the shop, and uh, two employees were doing their best job they could with the level of desire, equipment, and knowledge. Since then, he has grown the company to a 20-person organization with exceptional quality and workmanship. Their work mix is about 85% commercial, 15% residential, and they are primarily an HVAC systems cleaning company. Brad became a member of NADCA, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, back in 1994. He's certified as an air systems cleaning specialist. He was first elected to the board of directors in 1998, and in 2008, he was elected president. He's been the chair of numerous committees and a contributing editor to DuckTales, and he is also a speaker at various regional and national seminars and conferences. He also has a BS degree in personnel administration from Kansas State University. Welcome Brad, we have you on the line. Yep. Oh, Cut the music. do too much harm, it's time to sound an alarm, we can't be waiting too long, air is so wrong, 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 Okay, oh, clean air, it's what I need air. I need some clean air, I can't all right, we need some clean air, welcome Brad, we have you on the line. Hey
2: guys, how you doing? Good to be with you.
1: Great. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, how are things in Kansas City today? You're out in Kansas City, right?
2: I am, and you know, we're finally breaking out of uh, of, of what's been a pretty chilly uh, spring so far. So we're, we're enjoying the sunshine for a while. Too much gray stuff. Send
1: a little our way if you wouldn't mind.
2: Uh,
1: all right. Well, listen, I, I wanted to get started and uh, jump right into a little bit about your company. And my my first question is, what was the most important thing you did to really get your company turned around from that small two-person group with uh, one truck on the road and one truck in the shop to the point where you've got a twenty-man crew with an eighty-five percent commercial, fifteen uh, percent residential job mix? You
2: no, know, um, I'll, I'll I'll have to really say it's gone towards a lot of. Um a lot of training with the guys, a lot of understanding of, you know, that we're going to do it right the first time and everybody's going to make some mistakes along the way, but we're the type of service company that believes that, you know, you stand behind things and you take care of them and you keep striving to do the best you can. And, and that's really what we, really what we ended up doing is just getting out there. I was out there. I was very, very field oriented myself. And so I was out in the field in the early days um, doing, you know, doing a lot of the cleaning myself and, and running, a lot of the commercial crews in the beginning. And, and so I think that that probably uh, that, that field experience has served me well over the years to, you know, really know what's going on out there. So I think that's probably helped as well.
1: And you also have uh, the BS in personnel administration from Kansas State University, and I sure. assume that's helped you quite a bit in, in, you know, running this business.
2: It has. It has. Um, you know, probably my most enjoyable thing from, my personnel administration days, you know, before I got involved in this, because I was out of college for, you know, obviously a number of years before I got involved with this. Um, But training, you know, training and group training and and structuring training programs and whatnot was probably uh, my most enjoyable aspect of personnel administration. And so, you know, I continue to do that today with the guys. And that's kind of the fun part. Some of the things that have led me to some of the, uh, training and education opportunities that I had within within NATCA at some of the events to handle those so it's it's fun
1: great now you you mentioned NADCA, and I wanted to uh talk to you a little bit about that you came into the industry about sixteen years ago and now you're you're the president of the industry's leading trade association and uh first of all, congratulations on that uh How does it feel to be the president
2: <laughs> appreciate appreciate the the, the aspect on that, and you know it 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 feels busy I'll be honest with you there, but it but it also it also has been very good. Um, you know everybody that I've known at NADCA over the years it's it's a working group of people um, you know I've given I give a lot to NADCA as far as what's helped me grow over the years and you know to be on the board and now president is uh, uh, quite a uh, quite an honor and um, it's been a great experience so.
1: Well, you've got uh, your twentieth annual meeting coming up. That's amazing that nadca has been around for twenty years now. Great! Uh, when you look back at the accomplishments of the association over the past twenty years, which one sticks out in your mind as you know the most significant accomplishment that NADCA has uh, you know has made? I guess.
2: Wow! Um, yeah, we've made we've made a lot of them in twenty years. You know, obviously, you know, going from a group of contractors, you know, kind of all working together to figure out the best way to do good for the end user. I think Probably the best thing come out of that, obviously, is the ACR standard, our main standard, which is assessment, cleaning, and restoration of HVAC systems. So you have your standard. That's been great. Um, seeing NADCA standard and policies and procedures get put into um, all the commercial bid specifications of the leading um, trade organization, that's been great. Um you know, but I guess from a personal standpoint, um, I see the best thing that's happened in NAG in the last 20 years is probably a, sh- a little bit of a shift in the mindset of the contractors that belong to the association, and that's towards training. You know, in the early days when I came in, you know, it was great to learn about this stuff, but there didn't seem to be as much openness for outright training of our technicians and how to, how to clean to the standard and do the best job for the end user and I, I see that doing a complete 180, um, you know, in the last many years. But it's really it's really been good to see that come out.
1: What are your, your goals for the next 12 months? What do you hope to accomplish as president?
2: Well, we're, we're, we're just recently coming off of a board of directors meeting, so I think I'm pretty, uh, uh, you know, detailed on those. And, you know, as you know, we've got um, a new identity push, if you will, towards – being NADCA, the Inspection, Maintenance, and Restoration Industry, and that just basically has to do with the fact that it's more than just duct cleaning. There are a lot of other things that are involved in our work that uh, we need to continue to get our message out there on. Um, Personally, I've been involved in the Education Committee for a long time, and we've got some really great online web interface training tools that are coming out and interactive um, videos and things like that, and so that's going to be a big push for the next year and then, um you know, as you said, we're going to be twenty years at our next annual meeting so i'm I'm looking forward to having a having a killer annual meeting and you know uh celebrate our twentieth year milestone, so that's probably the three top ones right there
1: well, you've also um recently announced, and it was in indoor environment connections here this month that NADCA is investing $250,000 to study the link between pressure drop and energy savings. Um, this is going to require about 10% of your annual revenue for two years. That's a pretty impressive commitment, and uh, a lot of people have called it really a coil cleaning study, but that's that's not exactly accurate. Can you tell us a little more about what this study is all about?
2: Absolutely, yeah, and that was a, that was a very good article. I just saw it uh, just last week from, um, from the glenn's newspaper and did a very very well job on that so um you know it's part it's part of joe the bigger you know as we know everybody's into the green aspect and the the overall movement of reducing the carbon footprint on on the earth and on society and and you know we think that this we being in nadca and in this study think that this is something that we've all known intuitively or made the links between that you know if we have a cleaner coil and we're reducing pressure drop across the coil um, and we can show some energy savings from that that that's a good thing but um, you know one of the biggest ah out of looking into all this is there's really no um, quantitative and qualitative information and in studies that have been out there on that I mean you know a lot of us do pressure drops across coils you can do some amp draws and that sort of thing um but there's not a, a there's not an academic study that links the two together so if we have an academic study that links two together then um you know i think it's going to be a great thing for for the overall industry not just HVAC cleaning but the whole indoor air quality um industry to be able to connect those dots
1: let me see if uh cliff has any follow ups he wanted to ask on that issue
0: No, not on that one, Joe, but actually one of the things I I did want to ask him, uh, is that, you know, I, I think it's, it's pretty much, you know, international knowledge with the, the rising cost of steel. I'm wondering whether or not other materials are being utilized for ducting and whether you're running into this in the field.
2: You see some other, you see some other materials, um, you know, in my, in my neck of the woods, um. We have some uh, residential applications that uh, put some of the ductwork into a slab-type environment, um, and then we see PVC, which is a lot better than the old Zonotube that kind of collapses in on itself. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously the, the lower-cost materials of duct board, which is the fiberboard um, aspect of things, but um, that's got some pressure, you know, leakage-type issues. Um, we've seen some duct sock S-O-X, and duck sock is a fabric that uh, stays inflated due to the pressure of air that goes through there. And um, that's a unique one. That's probably the most unique one that I've seen. Um, and it just literally hangs down from some piping and on some hangers. I don't know. Have you guys ever seen that? It's a it's a very unique application. The, the, the install time is what is the, one of the greatest savings because it, it installs um, very, very quickly.
1: And I saw it once. I've, How do you clean it?
2: Um, (laughs) that's a trick. Uh, uh, it literally is taken down and almost laundered is the word that I would use because there's really, there's really at least that I've seen other than just, you know, maybe being able to contact back it. I don't think that most of your traditional cleaning tools are going to do anything for it in place and you're going to be, you know, taking it down. I've seen a couple of fire restoration applications where they've taken it down and, um, just laundered it.
0: Okay. I've only seen it I've only seen it once actually. There's a, a great breakfast restaurant show down in the strip and uh they utilize it.
2: Yeah. I've seen it in some newer gymnasiums and pool applications and stuff like that, but uh first time it'll blow you away. It's like you know, it's, it's
3: fabric. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is the you know, things are changing, Brad, no doubt about it. Now let me I wanna get back to the duct or, or I'm sorry, to your study here, to the uh Pressure drop and energy saving study. One of the things that struck me when I was reading the article is that you're hoping to develop um, some kind of better tool for measuring this pressure drop. Can you elaborate on that a little bit?
2: You bet. Um, and right now, you know, I don't think it's going to be a new creation of the tool because obviously, you know, an an anemometer and a magniheli gauge are going to be your two main testing instruments to be able to uh, check the pressure drop and and any CFM type requirements. So I I really don't see us, I don't see the study trying to make test and balancing engineers out of everybody. That certainly would not um, do anything for us, I don't believe. But if we can get get a lot of different tests that are run now and be able to get those down into a couple of um, oh, I won't call them simplistic, but logical tests that can be done in um, in this first phase is a residential application um, and light commercial. So if you can take a couple of, of measurements um, before and after the coil cleaning and be able to have um, the background aspect of an Excel file or something that is crunching some numbers and you have some pressure drops, you have some amp draws, and you have some kilowatts per hour ratings for the different parts of the country and whatnot, then that's where you can start connecting the dots between um, the improvement opportunity from the coil not being plugged up. So So I think that's kind of the goal that the researchers are after.
1: Would it be fair to say you're looking to somewhat standardize how this measurement is done? Yes, absolutely. Would Absolutely. Would you see that leading to another standard?
2: I'm not sure if I go as far as, say a whole new standard, but I, but you know, as as the standard is a you know living document, if you will, um, certainly incorporated into um, you know a revised standard because we've we've added a number of things into the standards over the years. We've added a whole section on the Type One and Type Two coil cleaning, so yep. that's been a a good push for it. Um, so certainly in that, I see it going into that area of
1: the standard. I see that what that is a great. Addition to the NADCA standard, the the coil cleaning section. Um, so, what kind of results? I mean, I I can I guess this is a kind of a type of question. I I'm guessing I know the answer, but what kind of results are you hoping for? And you know, what happens if they don't come out exactly the way you thought?
2: We first of all, I guess we have a two hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollar explanation to have out of it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, beyond that, um, you know, I, I just don't, you know, for, for many of us, you know, directly in the industry of HVAC cleaning or in the related industries of that, you know, again, I think all of us can intuitively say that this is something that certainly makes sense, and so we expect that the, um, that the results will come out positive. Um, but we're still so early on, to be honest with you, Joe. I mean, this—you know—we're really at the design of the, of the research phase of it, with meeting with the the research team. They have named a, uh, you know, they've named some of the people from Colorado University and that are going to be doing it and that sort of thing. But uh, um, beyond any structuring type things, we're we're not there yet.
1: I see. I was just curious that the yeah. the other issue I see is that. I'm wondering how you're going to handle the fact of uh you know you're going to be looking at coils I guess that are are dirty and how are you going to determine whether they were operating properly in the first place I guess that would be an issue you'll have to confront at some point
2: Yeah I think the, the beginning aspect of it is going to be you know calling out to our membership and or you know others involved in things to you know, just really get as much data as possible right now. You know, what are the conditions that we see, you know, in the different parts of the country? Because that's going to have a huge impact on it. But, you know, what are the different conditions we see? How, how what is a current pressure drop across coils? What is the, you know, what is the after reading? Get, get more people taking these uh, measurements to where we can at least start building a profile of what we have out there as current reality and then be able to see what the improvement opportunity is and how it could uh, play out in a, in a laboratory-type study, because that is what they will do is create these conditions in a laboratory and start
1: working on them that way. I see. Well, let's move on a little bit here. I, I know that uh, Cliff had a couple other questions, but I, I wanted to move on to some statements that I, you know, I went through your website, looked at a few things, and uh, one of the things that you mentioned on the website is that, you know, that HVA or HVAC cleaning um, systems cleaning can help to reduce dust levels are you do you have any kind of uh, particle counters you use to determine this or um, are you measuring the amount of dust when you're done I know you're measuring how much you take out but can you tell us a little bit about that
2: yeah we've done we we do have a we do have a laser particle counter um, and we've done some laser particle profiling um, both residential and commercial um, and I would say that know, in almost all aspects, um, there is a reduction of uh, particle sizes of dust levels that are, that are achieved um, throughout the course of the project. So I would, I would absolutely say that that's a documented aspect. Of it. Again, I'm, I'm not, you know, I've seen a number of different case studies from a number of different um, guys, if you will, in the, in the field and whatnot. Um, I'll be honest, I have not seen, again, a, a full-blown study from an academic standpoint that I'm aware of. Um, but we have certainly used our laser, pro- our laser particle counter a lot, and it's a good, you know, it's a, it's a really good tool to have. Very much like.
1: It. Well, another statement on there is that you you typically remove two to four grocery sacks of debris from the average size home. I mean, I would imagine that surprises some people. Uh, you know, how, how often do you remove more than that? Um, is it common to get that much? I mean, that seems like a great deal of debris.
4: It, it does.
2: It does, and you know that's a, that's a good. Uh, we were we were looking for something there, Joe, that kind of gave people a reality check, if you will, that um, how much can be built up in there. But um, you know, I've heard I've heard from some of my air conditioning buddies that uh, you know there's as much there's as much cubic footage of ductwork throughout an entire you know average residential style house um, as a vacant room. You know, and so if you take your ten by twelve by eight-room, cubic feet-wise, there's that much ductwork throughout a house with all of the, you know, air going through there. And, you know, when the, you know I love all my filters that I work for, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff that gets in there during the build process and people not using good-quality filters and that sort of thing. So we certainly have seen more, um, and, you know, we've certainly seen less, but uh, it, was a, it was a good sound bite to be able to give people a reality check on things. Um, on one commercial project, I, I can remember it well, out of just the fresh air intake, and this was not a large fresh air intake, but just out of just the fresh air intake, we literally were scooping stuff up into bags and filled up more than a 20-yard dumpster full
1: of debris from just the fresh air intake. Wow. Residential or commercial? No, 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 commercial. I was going to say, that's got to be a commercial job yeah, there, no. huh? And and you're doing a lot more commercial. But before we go to that, and what I want to do is finish up with the residential side, then we're going to take our break with uh, IE Connections. Sure. As a, on the residential side, I want to go through the process you describe and then ask you a quick question. Uh, debris is loosened with a special ag- agitation tool inserted into each vent opening. Okay, all the vent covers and interior surface of the ductwork are then air washed. And you use a 200 pound per square inch of air pressure, uh, special air tools to reach normally inaccessible areas. A 10 inch diameter vacuum hose is attached to the ductwork to make sure that the loosened debris is suctioned out. And um, it's taken out of the home in general. you I noticed you have a truck uh, that does a lot of this work, but you also have equipment you can move into the home. Is it common for duct cleaning companies to both do the agitation and then the air washing? And uh, was I reading that right?
2: Absolutely. And I think that's probably, you know, mechanical agitation with the system under negative pressure from either, you know, a truck or a portable or an electric, you know, some sort of large negative air collection machine. Um, and then the agitation tools from the brushes. And, and followed up by air pressure, probably, I would consider that to be the most common method that our industry uses. Um, a number of years ago, this is a number of years ago, the EPA, EPA was involved in a study with NADFIP where we did a joint study together, and they actually measured the difference of what was the best approach, if you will, to cleaning a surface. And air washing alone, or what's normally called in the industry a skipper ball, um, air washing alone was on, the, was on the low end of overall cleanliness, then they did some uh, of the air lances or whips, along with the air pressure, and that was kind of a medium. And then they did the mechanical agitation with brushes, followed up by air pressure, and that was your highest level of cleanliness achieved. So, you know, that's something that we were, you know, something that was a good win for us back, back a number of years ago, as far as that went.
1: I guess the point I'm trying to get across is for any uh, I.E.Q people out there who you know oversee this type of work and recommend that people do this type of work and any consumers that it seems to me you're recommending that anybody doing less than this is probably not doing the best job that could be done
2: i would i would I would echo that yes, sir I think there's always areas that you can uh, where you're looking to do better things and mechanical agitation with brushes and the only thing I would follow that up with then, Joe would be to say that you know in the end, in the end you have to be able to visually inspect the system to be able to gauge your own level of cleanliness that's uh,
1: paramount very important point and well covered in the um natca standard now the other thing before we go into commercial and, and before we go to our break is um i always like to emphasize the fact that you know and you do on your your website that you don't just clean the ductwork you also clean the burners the heat exchanger the coils et cetera. Are there ever times when you you don't do that, you just clean the ductwork?
2: Um, certainly, but that's, you know, that's arranged with the heating and air company. If they're obviously going to be putting in a new system um, or just put in a new system and you're a couple days off here or there, um, fire restoration projects a lot of times will clean just the ductwork because they're going to change out the system because it was damaged and that sort of thing. But if it's... Uh, you know, if it's if it's an existing system that is there, you know, the EPA documentation says you clean everything, the air passes over and through, and all those parts of the system certainly encompass that.
1: All right. Well, thanks for the first half here. We're going to come back and talk a little commercial, but look, let's go to um, the IE Connections What's News segment here. We've got some big news today, and we've got Glenn Feldman on the line, I think we've got the intro music for this segment. Hello, leader of men. Do we have you on the line?
4: <coughs> leader of men and women, too, I hope. And
1: women, too. Wow, that You know, Glenn, you are right on. Uh, always always picking up on these issues. What is news today, Mr. Fellman?
4: Uh, we got a couple good ones for you. You know, they say that things start in California and make their way across the country, but Uh, I think we've got a little reversal. Things are starting in Maryland, and they're going to make their way west, and I hope north and south as well. All my news items today come out of the great state of Maryland, my home state, born and raised right here. Governor Martin O'Malley, he's a Democrat, was elected last year. He has signed two bills uh, in the last week that have major impact on indoor quality and your listeners. The first one he signed is a bill uh, called the Maryland High Performance Buildings Act. It requires uh, specified buildings constructed or renovated solely with state funds to be high-performance buildings, uh, as in LEED, and that includes schools. Fifty percent of what they call the green premium, which is set at two percent, which may be a little bit low, will be provided by the state. In other words, it is a state-funded mandate. The bill goes into effect July 1, as in... July 1 this summer. And work on the regulations have already begun, according to the governor's office. So that's pretty big news here within the state. And um, we're seeing similar types of bills passed in other states as well. But the really big one that uh, I'm very excited about is a bill that was called Maryland House Bill 1309. The governor signed it uh, on May 14th, just this week. And it is a bill that uh, will license people who provide mold remediation services in the state of Maryland. Uh, The licenses will be required by the Maryland Home Improvement Commission, that's the Maryland agency that will oversee the licensing. What is really interesting about what's been uh, adopted in Maryland as a law now, is that the state is gonna be relying on voluntary industry certifications as a basis for awarding licenses. Specifically, within the law, there is a definition, and it reads, Accreditation body. Accreditation body means the American Indoor Air Quality Council or any other nationally recognized accreditation body that is recognized by the commission, that's the Housing Commission, and that operates independently of training organizations or industry trade associations. So for those of your listeners who are... CMRs or CMRSs from the American IAQ Council, they will be eligible, if they meet a few other requirements, to get licensed in the state. Those who do not hold council certification or one that meets the same standards will not be able to get the license. Hmm. There's a couple other things about this uh, that are very interesting. Uh, First of all, I should note that the the law does not apply to uh, performance of mold remediation on a non-residential property. Um, uh, doesn't apply to mold remediation in an area less than 10 square feet. The bill, or, or excuse me, the law has nothing to do with mold assessment, with the exception that you can't do remediation and assessment on the same project within a 12 month period. And the bill does not apply to routine cleaning that is not performed for the purpose of mold remediation. For instance, maybe duct cleaning like we've been talking about uh, on today's show. The um, The the bill also doesn't apply to individual property owners, employees of the U.S. government, and also industrial hygienists. An industrial hygienist, as defined by the American Industrial Hygiene Association, or a professional engineer, uh, does not need a license to do mold remediation in Maryland under this law. And um, uh, that's pretty typical. We've seen industrial hygienists get exemptions from a lot of these things. A couple other key points of this law. Uh, To get the license, you're going to have to have a million dollars in insurance. It doesn't specify general liability, but I assume that that's what it's referring to. And um, also to qualify for a license, there will be a a fee. There will be an application form for the commission. And, again, uh, they'll have to submit proof that each of the employees, now get this, each employee who provides mold remediation services has to be certified by an accreditation body as a microbial remediation supervisor or a micro, microbial remediation technician, whichever is applicable. That means every man on the job, not just a supervisor or a crew foreman. That's different than what we've seen in a lot of states. So this is really one of the most um, compelling and, I think, aggressive laws for licensing mold remediation that we've seen. Uh, certainly it, it outpaces what's happening in, um, in Louisiana. We'll see how it compares to what comes out in Florida when they announce the details of their regulations. Uh, it does not require a lot of the things that are required in Texas in terms of um, uh, the licensing down there. I think it's a less onerous on the industry, but still a very good law. So that's the big news for today, Joe.
1: Well, that one came out of nowhere, huh, Glenn?
4: Well, sort of. I have to say... Um, I met some of the people last week who were chiefly responsible for getting the ball rolling on this. It was some members of the Restoration Industry Association who uh, are down on the eastern shore of Maryland near Ocean City who'd run into a building that was horribly contaminated and that the owner was trying to rent out to uh, summer beachgoers. And uh, I guess some county health officials got involved. And next thing you know, somebody in the Maryland got got wind of it. And uh, this this was a, a bill that didn't see a lot of controversy. It moved very, very quickly through its committees. It passed through one, I think, through the uh, Maryland House with uh, unanimously. And in the Senate, I think it only had you know, less than 10 negative votes. So all the rest were positive. moved real fast. And uh, Governor O'Malley signs a lot of bills. And uh, what the legislature puts in front of him, he usually signs. And that was the case with these, both the high-performance one and the uh, mold, mold remediation one.
1: Great stuff, Glenn. Thanks a lot for bringing it to IAQ Radio first.
4: Absolutely. We will read details about this uh, law and, and, and all the um, different provisions of it in in uh, next month's issue of Indoor Environment Connections newspaper.
1: Excellent. Now, the other thing I noticed that actually, in a way, it's more stringent than Texas because it requires licensing of all the workers. In Texas, I believe you just have a two-hour training for the workers So or the technicians, yeah. as they call it.
4: Yeah, that is is true. That's the part of this bill that really came as a surprise to me is that, you know, every worker will have to be a certified microbial remediation technician. And um, uh, that's a lot of people. And so there'll be a a big scramble, I'm sure, in the state of Maryland over the next uh, 12 or 14 months or so to get people uh, in line with that.
1: And there's no exam requirement other than, you know, once you are certified through the council and take their exam, then you just send that information in. It appears at this point anyway, and you get your state license, pay your fee, of course.
4: Uh, yeah, there's a couple a couple other very small uh, qualifications that I, I think most people would have, you know, no problem meeting. But uh, there were, in an earlier version of the bill, there was quite a bit of language about a certain education level and a training level and this and that and the other. All that got struck in from the bill. Uh, while it was in different committees making its way through the Maryland legislature, by the time it hit the governor's desk, it, that that stuff had been stripped
1: out. We'll put a link to that bill up on IAQ Radio after the show for any listeners that are interested in taking a look at it and getting a copy. And then, of course, we'll have a an excellent article on it in IE Connections next month. You bet. All right, thanks for joining us, Glenn. I've got some uh, big news of my own here that I'd like to send out to the listeners this was sent from uh, Carl Grimes he does a series called did you know and he called this one his final part 12 of a series by Carl many of you know that Carl has been uh, in a little bit of a battle with the IICRC and uh, had appealed the S520 professional mold remediation standard and on May 15th he sent a notice to ANSI and to IICRC stating that uh, he wished to inform all concerned that he will not be filing an appeal by today's deadline on the action, detailed below, involving revisions to the IICRC policy and procedures. He felt it was important for everyone to understand his reasons. He went on and discussed his reasons, and he has highlighted here, it is with great pleasure and relief that subsequent to my objections, detailed in previous emails below, On the policy and procedure revision events, Mr. Cooper, who is the IICRC's representative, and I have met in person several times and developed newfound cooperation. He is satisfied that uh, with that better understanding that um, the IICRC is going to follow through and uh, continue to work with him in finalizing things, and it looks like we may well have a ANSI, an ANSI approved S520 in the not too distant future. I know that um, they had been working on getting things straightened out between some of the industry associations it looks like there will be an agreement there we had Carl had the, his appeal there may be one other one I'm not sure we'll let you know on that one and I wanted to send it over to Cliff because I know he may have a comment on this
0: uh, Yes I do Joe uh, earlier this morning I did get Carl's email and I felt compelled to send an email to uh, Larry Cooper, and what I'd like to do is just kind of read the airmail, this email I sent to the listeners. It goes as follows. Uh, Subject, Carl Grimes. It's got today's date on it. Dear Larry, this morning I received an email update from Carl Grimes. The email was special as it advised that he had resolved his issues with the IICRC over the policies and procedures of the development of the S-520. I understand and silently supported Carl's decision to do what he felt was the right thing to do by challenging the IICRC's standards writing process, the result of which was frustrating, trying, and emotionally for all the parties involved. When an overly sensitive and competitive organization like the IICRC can finally silence a harsh critic and work in concert with other organizations for the betterment of the industry is testimony to the organization's mission statement and confirmation of the IICRC's growth and maturity. The amicable resolution of Carl's complaint validates and legitimizes the IICRC's standards writing process. The important lessons learned from this ordeal should never forgotten you know that in IICRC board meetings that I've been critical of both the organization and some of the individuals within it and when I felt my criticism was justified and that my commentary was required I expressed it I know that resolution of the matter with Carl Grimes wasn't easy as one who has questioned and criticized the organization's handlings of this matter, I'm compelled to acknowledge and applaud your success on this monumental accomplishment. Congratulations, respectfully yours, Cliff Slotnick, ICRC board member and co-host of IAQ Radio.
1: Well, thanks for that, Cliff, and I'll second that. And we've been, you know, we've been on this story for quite a while now, and uh, it looks like we've come to a great resolution. And I also want to add my. Uh, my thanks to you and to everybody who helped with uh, with getting this resolved, and of course Carl in uh, following through, and the IICRC folks for coming to this agreement. I think it's a great thing for the industry, and we we'll look forward to uh, seeing that final standard come out. Absolutely. All right, let's go back to first. Before we go back, let me bring bring. It looks like we've got uh, our technical director on the line, Dr. Dietrich Wow. I want to make sure we say hello. Yep.
3: Yeah. I had to wait up, oh, there it's there, Beethoven. There I like there that you I like. Are, dear All <laughs> right. yeah, good afternoon. again, I had a little bit of a problem getting through, but anyway, that everything is there great. I was listening very carefully and would questions? you like to have a comment would you like to have a comment now or later?
1: uh let's go for you got a quick one or is it going to take a minute
3: uh no it's uh, first of all well, you and I, we are working on education and uh um uh, and 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 getting people ready for their professions, and I certainly am glad to hear that uh, there are things going on where yeah, I would like to have somebody trained to clean my ducts or do an inspection or remove a mold if I should have it in my house. No doubt about it, but another thing, and I said that many times on these uh, on this show, I always learned something, and it's one of the things I had completely neglected and forgotten. The Delta, the Delta P, the the pressure drop in ventilation systems. You know that I was taught how to design ventilation systems from Dr. Korn, Mort Korn, and a couple of other people over in mechanical engineering. And the one thing, I mean, we took, it was very important to get the right pressure drop at the right time at the right place. But we never were taught to minimize this, because when I learned that 30 years ago, we really didn't care how much it would cost to overcome a little bit more of a pressure drop. Now, if you have a commercial system that works 365 days a year, a little bit all of a sudden becomes a lot. I never thought of it, and probably the next time I would design something, I said, hey, can we streamline that? Can we do a little bit better? Like I said, in the old days, I never gave it a, a problem. That's that 3.68 uh, inches of water across the Adios, Bye-bye. It's going to work. So that is kind of interesting.
1: Well, thanks for your um, call. And...
3: And, and, and I'm glad to see that other people are taking care of that. And very briefly, I argued basically the same point uh, with a friend of mine who has no engineering background, no nothing. He insulated his hot water heater. And I said, oh, I bought a sheep on hell with it. You know, it doesn't. They said, hey, Dieter, that sucker is sitting down there 365 days a year. It's not one of those things that you use once and then you forget about it. It's always hot. It's always there. And again, that was the same thing. I said, hey, he is right. I was wrong. <laughs> you know, maybe I should insulate that a little bit better and save a little bit here or there. Anyway, I stopped right there.
1: Well, thank you for your comments. We'll bring you back in for the roundtable, Dieter. Sure. All right. And we should have Brad back on the line. Brad, we had a couple questions come in during the break here, and I want to uh, first let's go up to uh, this one that came in up a little bit here. There we go. We had a question from a um, listener that says their company performs 60% residential, 40% commercial. One of the questions that arises in almost all these residential properties is how often should the ducts be cleaned? I'm assuming I didn't see the last word, but how often do you recommend this
2: i you know I think on average, I would say you know at times of construction or remodeling um if you're in an environment where you know this is this is there's no easy answer so the the, the short the short one to that is inspected every couple of years, and you're probably going to end up cleaning it every five years, um, but obviously, if you're in a part of the country where you keep a lot of windows open, if they're doing a lot of construction around your area and moving dirt and whatnot, um you know Arizona's going to be needing to be cleaned probably more than maryland um simple simple as that so but I, on average, I'd say um, with good filtration, keeping it in there and normal type activity, um five years is probably a good
1: benchmark okay. That's what we need, and uh, we appreciate that, and thanks for texting in your question. I've got another one handwritten here I'll bring up in a moment, but we wanted to uh, jump over to the commercial side a little bit and see, you know, what are you seeing? You're doing a lot of commercial work. What What are you seeing with respect to specifications for HVAC, I guess, cleaning in, in schools or, or new buildings or whatever? What's new out there on the commercial side?
2: Yeah, um, you know, uh when I started into this back in ninety two and whatnot, uh, you know, we were cleaning schools and other commercial buildings when a mechanical contractor or when somebody had a a, a problem and whatnot and, and we were reacting to that, which is all good and fine and that's still a lot of it, but uh, you know, over the years we have certainly seen the the mechanical engineers and the architects and the and the, the, the board, the school the school boards and the folks that are involved in that that realize the benefit of when they're changing out a lot of these systems um, on the on the mechanical side and putting in newer systems, that they're increasing the static and the CFM through there, and they get tired of getting a face full of dirt out the vents. And so they started coming around to putting this in the bid specs when they were changing things out. And now we're seeing it with ground-up buildings. So we're bidding on projects right now that aren't going to be even being built for two years but they know that they they just know that because they're running the system for temporary heat cool um during construction they are just coming around and knowing that these systems are going to get a buildup of sheetrock debris and other dust plus the ductwork is sometimes staged and stored in a dusty area so to speak um and they know that they're going to take a hammering during construction and so they're putting in for cleaning them at the end of construction before turning them over to the building owner so it's a whole interesting aspect of the the commissioning and or retro commissioning i guess i would put it that way
1: you're doing a lot of this you know restoration work in in commercial buildings and um i would imagine it's a lot more complex obviously but uh, can you tell us a little bit about the issues with respect to you know when you see damaged uh, a lot of times interior line ductwork is going to be damaged how are you handling that? Can you give us a, a brief overview of, you know, the best way to handle that situation?
2: Yeah, sure. You know, I guess it, you know, kind of goes back to what I said before, it's not it's not just duct cleaning, it is it is systems cleaning and restoration type work and, and you're right, we see a lot of times, you know, predominantly in the air handling units themselves where the insulation has gotten, you know, just walked on beat up against plus there's the issue of just the age and the air erosion just from the amount of air blowing over the surface and then some of the water um, absorption of the of the insulation material That uh, it's just not a cleanable surface and if you can't clean it then you are bound if you will um, to replace that um, so a lot of our work does involve um, ripping out the current insulation and putting back in you know a better insulation which you know um, we don't go with fiberglass we tend to use an engineered polymer foam type miner um, that's not going to have any concerns with air erosion or water absorption it's just a better better long haul type uh, piece of insulation that's in there so but we certainly have seen that in long runs of ductwork as well and it's, it's no easy task to rip out and replace the insulation in those long lines like that so um, you know, it's a trick, but it's a it's a good fix for the for the building owner.
1: Do you ever coat these systems?
2: Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Okay. Um, a lot of a lot of the application is, is applying the proper coating materials when that is the proper uh, uh, approach. That um, that's been that's been a great a great aspect of our work, and you know, I consider that to be a good use on you know the type of insulation that can utilize that. Um, you know, with that said, obviously, if it has any type of um, fire smoke damage and or if it has some uh, microbial contamination within it, then our recommendations are then going to be to remove and replace it.
1: Okay. And you always, I, I assume you always clean these before coating as well. You clean them the best you can and then coat them to lock down any residual problem?
2: Absolutely. Thank you for pointing that out. Yes, uh, the 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 coating is a is a post cleaning application in all cases. Absolutely.
1: All right. You also are doing a lot of uh, inspection services. Can you tell us a little bit about what types of inspection services other people who you know are in the industry might be interested in hearing that you're performing that maybe they're not performing?
2: Yeah, you bet. Um, You know, it's a good thing for you know we deal with a lot of uh, uh, other you know industry involved, if you will. Um, industrial hygienists or environmental um, environmental science people Um, and they'll call us in you know they're they're doing their part to inspect um, from a water leak or you know an odor concern or whatever Um, and they'll call us in to inspect the integrity of the HVAC system Um, so that's one aspect of it from the either microbial or fire smoke type aspect but uh, you know you see also a lot of uh, property managers and asset managers that are going to be um, buying or selling a portfolio of the building um, that that you know again, they're coming around to know that just because it's out of sight out of mind ie the ductwork above a ceiling, that there may be some things in there that are uh, waiting to jump out and beat them up and so they want to be able to get a good idea of what's going on and going on inside the ductwork and so that's been a, a huge part of our Uh, commercial work is going through and doing, you know, spending um, a little bit of time, um, several nights at times, and guys opening up holes and taking pictures and making some standardized type notations of what's going on in the system and then being able to turn that into a uh, conditions found report for the building owner or facilities manager. And it's been a valuable tool for them to be able to make decisions on of where things might need some improvement and where things are just a okay.
1: So it's great. Okay, we've got, uh, looks like we're down to about five minutes or so. And typically, this is the point in time where we go to the round table. And I think we ought to go ahead and do that here at this point. Excellent.
4: Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high
1: Right, rawhide. Thank you, uh, Chris. Appreciate that. Let's get back to the roundup. I think we'll go around the horn here and start with Glenn Felman. Glenn, any questions or comments you'd like to add?
3: Sure,
4: I would. Um, Brad, I was really interested in reading in the most recent issue of NADCA's magazine, DuckTales, which is a great magazine, by the way, for all those listeners who don't read it. Um, I was reading about the NADCA strategic plan that's put into effect this year, and one of the uh, items that struck me as very interesting was Nadca is moving towards uh, separate certification for residential versus commercial, as well as perhaps specialty certifications for certain types of environments. So I'd love to hear more about um, the, the reason for that and, and why that's necessary, and how that's going to benefit the industry.
2: You bet, Glenn. Um, you know, we've had, as you know, we've had a couple of separate um, certifications over the years. The SMR, the ventilation system, mold remediator, and then the CVI, the certified ventilation inspector, and so we're just, we're looking at are there are there some unique applications, some u- unique uh, service needs for some of the residential work versus the commercial work, and and is it now time <laughs> to look at any different types of certifications between those two? Um, how it will benefit the industry, I think, is. You know, it's, just, it's, a, it's more more knowledge and more specific knowledge on what goes into, you know, they, they are different animals, I guess I would say, that, you know, the access to the ductwork and just the approach that you need to go about it, they're, they are two unique animals between residential and commercial. And so um, the question is, is it time to set those things apart and look at them differently from a certification standpoint?
4: Well, that, that, I appreciate that. That gives me a great segue to my my follow-up question. I'll let some others chime in. The same um, strategic plan. I read that you're looking at potentially setting separate standards for residential and commercial. Is that something that you see moving forward in the next, say, uh, you know, one to three years?
2: I'd put it at the two- to three-year time frame, Glenn. Um, <laughs> come on, get so right over there. So I don't go out on a live there. But, uh, um, you know, again, there's so many unique characteristics between between the, the two building envelopes, if you will, that uh, the, the time has probably come to be able to look at it that way, yes. Sure.
4: That's great. All right. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Good Glenn. Thought. Thanks for joining us. And uh, let's move over to Dr. Dater. Dater, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I <laughs> I have a question. And I don't know whether anybody really wants to hear it.
3: Um, and I'm, I have the engineering approach over here. Why do we have to clean air ducts? Isn't there a way to prevent that, that it happens in the first place? Is that negligence on the people who don't do good maintenance, don't keep records of maintenance, which is typical? And I'm sure anybody who is listening to that, anybody who has worked in this arena, has known of uh, that because I I go to places that said, where are the plants where is it Oh we don't have that. Oh. nobody knows what's going on. So um, why uh, we... Uh, uh, are we are we doing are we working on a cancer that we could have prevented before? That's probably the question.
1: Either leave it to you to come up with a great question like that. I'll, I'll let Brad tackle that one. <laughs> Gee, thanks, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Brad.
2: <laughs> let, 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 let me take a stab at it this way. Oh, yeah, uh, you should. Doc, doc you should. That's what they're here for. Absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, with the with the current stock of the age of buildings throughout at least the United States, my gosh, I'm not sure if we could. You know, if they started doing them, na- you know, building buildings now that that were set up from the get-go where they didn't need to be cleaned um that'd be one thing but you know we got such a vintage stock of buildings across the country i'm not sure if we'll ever get through with all those first yeah um and 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 then it gets back to you know what i said earlier with joe that we're seeing where if they run them for temporary heat cool during the construction process um and they're not putting in high quality filters it probably goes back to a cost aspect to right you know run HEPA filters in a in a Class B commercial building, it's just not going to happen.
3: Yeah. Well, I talk to a lot of people who are, you know, the, the, the building architects, the building engineers, the building gurus. Even if we educate every new architect today to perfection, they still have a lot of work to do before they die, uh, yeah, where things just have not been designed uh, correctly for the right place with the right equipment, with the right materials, and so on. So yeah, I think there is always quite a bit of work to be done uh, to you know, take care of the mistakes that somebody else made. Yeah, well, I think in Detroit they call that a recall, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, the maintenance issue. I'd, issue's I'd, I'd big like
3: for
2: the work to put access openings in where we need them. That would be a great start. <laughs> there you go.
1: There you go. Well, let's bring Cliff in and see if he has any final comments. Cliff?
0: Yeah, I do actually. I've got uh, a multi. I've got two questions. The first is a multi-part question that deals with robotic equipment. How much does robotic equipment cost? Have you decided to invest in it for your company, and would it be necessary for a startup, full-service company, a duck cleaning company that wanted to do both residential and commercial work?
2: Okay, um, robotic equipment from a you know from a from an easy inspection only you know a camera you know mounted on the front and back and just an inspect only type robot you're probably in the area of six thousand dollars um these things can go well over twenty five thousand dollars that have all sorts of brushes on them to clean with and spray applicators to um, apply coatings and or sanitizers etc and so you know that's kind of the range on things um yes we do have um a robotic uh, piece of equipment Um, we we use it for inspections only Type that we have, um, and I would put it in the aspect as far as does a startup need it? I would put it in the aspect of an of an insurance aspect. When you need it, they're great, um, but you don't always you don't always need them. And you know, personally, my own experience has been there's nothing like cutting a hole inside of a piece of ductwork and being able to look into it and being able to take a digital picture of it. Uh, and those seem to me to be easier to. Um, go over with a client and whatnot, Um, but the robots certainly have their place uh, in the industry. So not a must-have piece of equipment, but a darn good tool when you need to use it.
0: Yeah, In in getting ready for your interview, I I went on the Internet and I was searching, and I found that companies that are making uh, air conditioning units themselves, uh, coils, air filters, and drain pans, have all invested in adding antimicrobial protection, like building it in uh, to their products, and I'm wondering whether or not you're noticing that these materials with this built-in protection are any easier to clean or maintain.
2: Uh, I mean, I think that the I think that the idea is that they're, you know, again, it's the insurance aspect that they've got that built into them. But as far as the structure of them and how you're going to be able to access them and get to things, which is always the trick in our industry. Um, I don't see them being designed any differently as far as that goes, Cliff. So I think our access to them is still a concern, but if they if they're building them to have longevity and not have or be more resistant to any microbial contamination, man, that's a great that's another great thing for, for the end user.
0: Thanks.
1: All right. I've got uh, two quick ones here, Brad. One, uh, I was talking to uh, Gary Fineri here before the show, and uh, during the show he's been listening in, I know, and he he wrote me a question, brought it in here, and uh, it has to do with the EPA, I guess, and, uh, you know, according to EPA, at least some of their older documents, that cleaning can also release normally locked down contaminants. Has this, you know, I've asked this of a lot of people, First of all, do you know if they're still working on that document? Should you have the ducts in your home cleaned? And how has that impacted your business?
2: um, I've heard of several um, revisions or attempts at revisions on that document, and I I do not know where it currently stands, Joe. I'll I'll be honest with you there. Um, As far as how I see my take on that is I absolutely agree that if you are not Performing the work in the highest quality manner and having the whole system under negative pressure while you're doing your cleaning, um, you do stand the chance with um, an inadequate vacuum source, if you will, um, and just in there stirring stuff up, you bet you're going to make a bigger mess than what you started with. And I believe really the name of the game is to have that under good containment, good engineering controls to make sure that you're able to, one, get to everything, and two, be able to have it where you can get everything out
1: of the inside of the duct all right and i've got uh one last one that i well, actually two there's always one we add which is is there anything we missed that you would like to add
2: i think y'all have done pretty darn good
1: all right <laughs> <laughs> i guess i could also turn the tables is there anything you'd like to ask anybody else that was on the line here
2: Um, If Dr. Dieter comes up with his way of uh, never having to do this, then uh, please
3: let me know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you can bet he'll be here.
3: Well, maybe I'm working on that, huh? (laughs) Absolutely.
1: (laughs) We appreciate that. And last but not least, how do our listeners contact you if they'd like to uh, talk further or join NADCA or whatever?
2: Absolutely. Um, Well, obviously, you could go to the NADCA website, which is, um But certainly, if anybody wants to contact me, I'm certainly open to it. Uh, my email address um, is long, but it's my full company name all squished together. So it's simply Brad K at MidwestDuctCleaning.com. And that's my address. And if they want to call my office, which you'll be able to get from either NADCO or that, uh, it's 913 648 5300 and i more than
1: happy to take your call there. So not a problem at all. Well, thank you so much. I want to say uh, thanks to this week's guest, Mr. Brad Kuhlman, for joining us. I also want to thank Glenn Fellman for coming in and doing the IE Connections What's News. I want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick, for calling in from Florida there. And, of course, uh, the technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weill, for joining us. Uh, The wingman, Chris Boizel. Thank you, Dieter. Thank you, Dieter. Uh, My wingman, Chris Boizel, here at the the controls this week. And, of course, we want to say thanks one more time to Microband Systems, the microbial management company, at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at DRI-EAZ.com.
4: And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at JONDON.com.
1: <laughs> All right, but most importantly, I want to thank our growing group of loyal listeners. We appreciate all of you being here again with us this Friday on IAQ Radio. Please come back and join us again next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio.
0: This has been another IAQ Radio production.